Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening and God bless. Our passage for today uh, comes from Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 to 2 and 8 through 11. So listen for what God might be saying to you this morning. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember the Sabbath day and treat it as holy. Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Do not do any work on it, not you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your animals, or the immigrant who is living with you. Because the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them in six days, but rested on the seventh day. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. May God bless our understanding of this hearing of the scripture and living out of it. Um, And let us come together in a word of prayer. God, we are grateful for the gift to come together on this seventh day to perhaps find our rest in you. So I ask that you would um, be with us um, as we settle into this space and settle into what it is that your word might have to say to us, still our hearts and our minds, um, so that we might be present in all the ways that we need to, to hear and be um, comforted and challenged and strengthened for our journeys. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our passage for today, uh, we're dropping in on a group of folks who have been through some stuff. After eight plagues and a parted sea, they are freshly liberated from generations of indentured servitude and slavery. They've been wandering around the wilderness for three months at this point and have moved past the immediate danger and urgency of escape. Their hearts have slowed down. They've caught their breath. We are safe now. What next? Until this point, all they've had the time to think about is getting free, but now that's behind them, and they're faced with a whole new set of questions that they have never had the luxury of asking. They're shifting from surviving this moment to thinking long-term, which also means they've come to a place where their identity needs to rest on more than their trauma. There is something new that they need to be and do apart from what they have suffered under. And so if our oppression doesn't define us anymore, what will and what next? Now, many folks at UVC had holiday visits that were fraught for one reason or another. I've heard a few different stories. Whether it's been marked by living more fully into a part of ourselves that we've embraced and are ready to assert, uh, perhaps our gender identity or sexual orientation, uh, maybe a change in our vocational status or relationship status. Um, for others of us, it might have been um, shaped by choosing to, d- to define and live into new roles for ourselves. I will no longer play this role in our family dynamics, right? Or choosing to extract ourselves from toxic systems altogether, even if it means maybe giving up your royal titles. They might think you're making a Megxit, but you know, thanks John, that it is a declaration of independence. The step itself takes courage, right? But what about life after the choice? What does it look like to build something after you've had spent so much of your time and your energy just trying to fight for air to breathe and room to grow? 
Of course, building the new thing is often easier said than done because we have ingrained ways of being and doing which shape our worldview and habits. Those survival methods that maybe worked for us before will no longer serve us to build something new, right? And as we try to break free from even those worldview and habits, it doesn't take long before we begin to see the ways that we have internalized the lessons and norms that shaped those things in the first place, right? Whether it is heteronormativity or patriarchy or white supremacy, narratives, lenses, and ways of understanding the world, we have been shaped by it all, whether we like it or not. And usually we don't realize it until we've decided to choose something different. We don't realize the ways that maybe we have discounted or our opinions or ignored our needs or disqualified ourselves beforehand because we've absorbed the narrow imaginations and definitions of the, these frameworks that have been around us and that have shaped us. Women don't always catch the ways that we diminish ourselves and each other. Men are hardly aware of the limited expressions of emotion that they allow themselves. People of color don't realize the ways that uh, we self-police and police each other to conform to expectations of whiteness. And similarly, queer folks find themselves working to overcome or redefine heteronormative definitions of expression. This is not an indictment. These are just broad brushstrokes. And the point I'm trying to make is that each of us has some stuff to work through. Even when we have done the courageous work of embracing our fullest selves, we continue to have work to do, to live beyond the bounds of our various traumas and oppressions. And this is where the Israelites find themselves in our passage for today. For the first time in a very, very long time, they have the option for self-determination, a choice in who they will be and how they will live. They have a choice in what defines them and how they will live together. But the intergenerational trauma that they carry, the internal work that needs to be continued, is real, and God knows this. There are deep patterns of dysfunction, malformation, and brokenness that have formed them, perhaps were key to their survival, right? So then how do you begin when all you have known is hundreds of years, generations of systemic oppression? This is where our passage for today comes in. And now, while they're most often called the Ten Commandments, I'm, sure that, uh, I'm not sure that that fully describes what's going on. So I'm going to pause right here. Because with all the thou shalt, they certainly sound like commandments, but I think it's a little bit more true to the spirit of what's going on to call them something more like the Ten Covenants or Ten Commitments. Because what is happening here is closer to what we might see in a marriage ceremony than a dictator that's laying down the law. God is saying, look, I am in. I am here for you, and I am committed to you. I will care for you, and I will protect you and see you through. But if this is going to work, here's what I need from you. It's got to be me. I've got to be your God, no one else. And so don't put other things before me, and don't make my name cheap. And on the whole, these three, I think, feel pretty obvious when we're talking about a commitment ceremony, right? But then the next thing on the list feels sort of different. God's like, love me, put me first, don't throw my name around, also sleep. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> now, we're in this final week of our sermon series exploring the rhythms of life as we've been created and called to live it. Throughout this month, uh, we've, we've heard different folks kind of talking about um, the ways that prayer, connection, rest, and giving are, can help us lead not just balanced lives, but richer, more joy-filled, and meaningful lives. 
Today, of course, we're talking about rest and the commandment or commitment that God calls us to pursue it. Now, why? Why would God place Sabbath, rest, so far up the list? It's number four, right? Ahead of honoring your parents, not killing or cheating. It's way before don't steal, lie, or envy. I mean, how could sleep be listed before murder, right? What's going on here? As it turns out, rest is more than a luxury. It's baked into our DNA, into our creative selves, created selves. It's a vital part of God's vision of wholeness of life for all. And now I could talk about how if you have healthy sleep patterns, which I'm sure everyone in this room does, you'll spend nearly a third of your life sleeping. And I could explain the ways that your brain actually becomes more active in your sleep than when you're awake, how sleep helps you make better decisions, be more creative, and able to regulate your emotional wellness. New parents could know, know what I'm talking about um, with that. I could talk about how sleep is deeply tied to mental health and wellness. And I could also point out even that God rested after a week of enormous creative effort. But today I want to talk about the ways that rest is actually an act of resistance and a commitment to justice. Because if you've read the first 19 chapters of Exodus, then you'll know that the oppression the Israelites escaped was not just ethno-religious, but that it was deeply tied to economics and production. The leadership of the day what relentlessly demanded more for less, and the reasons weren't just revenue and nation building, it was also designed to suppress their spirituality. Earlier in Exodus, the scripture says, Pharaoh commanded the people's slave masters and supervisors, don't supply people with the straw they need to make bricks like you did before. Let them go out and gather the straw themselves. But still make sure that they produce the same number of bricks as they did before. Don't reduce the number. They are weak and lazy, and that's why they cry, let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Make their work so hard that it's all they can do and they can't focus on these empty lies. Make them work so hard that it's all they can do, and they can't focus on their spiritual selves, their humanity, their soul care. How many of us have felt at times like we've had to hustle so hard we have no time for anything else? Hardly any headspace to think, you are not alone. Most of us have been so consumed by our broader culture of constant grinding that we don't really know any different. If you don't believe me, consider the fact that nearly half of all Americans who have vacation days don't take them all. And 20% of Americans leave more than five days of vacation unspent. That's a week of vacation unspent. Some people even feel, some folks in here might feel this way, that vacation causes them more stress because of all the work they have to do uh, not to get prepared, not to mention that their bosses frown on it and they're afraid that it'll weaken their career prospects. Add to this the creep of technology in the hours between work, and I won't ask for a show of hands who has a habit of checking their work email uh, in bed before turning out the lights. But how does an anxiety-inducing email from a supervisor or a client right before bed help anyone get a better night's sleep? I have been there. Rich can attest to that. Do not do it. So, so then how do we begin to change these habits, right? Well, a few weeks ago, I was listening to an episode of the podcast Hidden Brain, um, and it was all about how to build better habits. Now, one of the main ways to build a habit is by removing what uh, psychologist Wendy Wood calls friction. Friction is what makes a new habit just a little bit more difficult. 
or, or a habit just a little bit difficult. So for example, if you want to break a bad habit, you have to create friction to make it harder to keep up with that habit, right? Like maybe plugging your phone into an outlet into another room overnight. Um, so that's a little harder to look at your, at your phone um, right before bed, right? Or if you want to create a habit of, of say, exercising first thing in the morning, um, then what you would do, Dr. Wood says, is you would uh, reduce friction around that. So maybe that means sleeping with your workout clothes right next to your bed or under your pillow, right? So it's a little harder to talk yourself out of getting up. Now, technology um, uh, developers have capitalized on these findings. Uh, Uber puts a lot of money into training and evaluating um, cars and their drivers. Um, but one of the things that they were finding was that drivers um, would typically not make it to 10 rides. Um, and so because it was just too hard or inconvenient or they just kind of didn't like the experience. And so Uber was losing money for all the amount of you know, time that they were uh, investing into new drivers. So what they decided to do was essentially uh, reduce friction. Now, you've probably actually heard this if you've taken any ride shares. Um, when you're in an Uber or a Lyft toward the end of your ride, um, a, your phone uh, or their phone app pings. Um, just as you're like about to um, get to your destination. And so it, it pings and then it assigns the driver their next ride. So then they don't have a minute, right, to think, oh, you know, I don't actually like this. Like, it's, this is really getting difficult, I'm going home, right? Before they have a chance to think, they're off on the next ride. And so it moves them kind of forward through this process um, to the point where they start feeling a little more comfortable um, with, uh, with driving folks around um, and they can kind of develop some patterns for um, dealing with customers and that kind of thing. Make them work so hard, it's all they can do and they can't focus on anything else. Keep them distracted, keep them anxious, keep them on the edge so that they can't pause and take a look at the world around them and think, is this what I want to be doing? Now, it's not the same, but it's not all that different either. If you keep folks running from one thing to the next, keep them limited um, in their focus on what is right in front of them, this is how you stop people from thinking more deeply, living more intentionally. We are trained not to rest. And even culturally, rest has become almost morally suspect. You can take a little rest, right, if you're sick or if someone that you care about is sick. But if you take too much, you risk appearing lazy or unambitious or even worse, a drain on society. We have been so formed by a culture of grind and the gospel of hypercapitalism, which says there is never enough. There will never be enough. We will never be full. There's always some next mountain to climb. We can't stop. We shan't stop. We, we won't stop. We must win at every cost. There is something always chasing behind us. Our God-given rhythms of rest and work have become completely fractured. And so maybe the reason why the call to rest was at the top of God's list of commitments from people is because they, too, had given themselves over to this kind of culture that Pharaoh had shaped, so much so that it needed to be at the top of the list, that if they didn't change this, they couldn't change anything else. What would it take for you to rest faithfully? And like, not just a good night's sleep, although let's make sure we got the basics covered, right? Not just a good night's sleep, but deep rest. What would you have to let go of in order to do this? Maybe it means uncoupling your sense of self-worth from how productive you are, or slowing down, which means you might not come in first or second. 
And even more, what might it require in order for you to fulfill the other half of that Sabbath commandment, to let others rest? Maybe it means decreasing those Amazon purchases so that workers aren't rushing so hard they end up breaking their bodies to fulfill orders. Or choosing not to shop on holidays so that retail workers aren't working in times when they should be spending resting. Take a moment to reflect. What discipline do you need to take on in order to resist the values of constant hustle, to faithfully follow and advocate for God's commandment of rest for everyone? Rest is a way of telling the truth about who we are, created beings, and who God is, our creator, our redeemer, and our sustainer. So how will you begin to tell the truth about who you are and who God is through your work and your rest? So now maybe you can see how something as simple as rest could be an act of justice and resistance, even discipleship for those Israelites back then and maybe even us today. Perhaps the reason why rest comes so high up the list, right, um, is because good rest actually prevents bad decisions, How many of us might be able to honor our parents a little bit more if we took a nap before we picked up the phone to call them? (laughs) How many murders could have been prevented if everyone just got a decent night's sleep? Even Jesus called on his followers to come and find their rest in him. So let's take him up on his offer. Let's make room for a rhythm of rest, not as an extracurricular, not if I've got some time, right? But as an essential part of what it means to follow God and accept Jesus' invitation to a new way of doing life in a world that would have you formed in a completely different way. So take more naps. It just might transform your faith and maybe even the world around you. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you command us and that you invite us into a deeper, more authentic, restful way of being in the world. We ask that you would help us to let go of the things that we hang on to that are tied to overproduction, tied to an economics that has nothing to do with our well-being or the well-being of others. Help us to embrace a new way of being and doing and living in this world that reflects your intentions for creation, not just for ourselves, but for one another. We thank you that you continue to invite us into this work with you, even as we struggle to um, shape ourselves and our lives in a new way for your purposes. We ask for your strength, for your encouragement, for your guidance as we seek to live more fully into those people that you have created and called us to, to be and lives to live. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.